0: Okay. The first question. (laughs) Legitimately, we've been talking about this for the past couple weeks now. How can I experience an ongoing, life-giving, life-altering, relational journey with God? I want you to take a moment. This is a how can I. I'm curious how it's been happening in your life, and I want you to share that with one another. I know that Uh, you all are basically sitting with people that you love and care about and all that kind of thing. But I'd be curious how much to know during the week you're actually talking about this. So talk about it now. What is a way that you've seen an ongoing, life-giving, life-altering relational journey with God? That may mean that you've been struggling to see that. That may mean there's a specific instance. I just want you to remind one another how you're seeing this in your life. Or maybe you aren't you've got questions. So go ahead and take a minute, talk about it and then we'll come back together. Okay, I'm sure there's others, and I'm, I'm really grateful that you all shared them. I have a really, probably one of the most controversial questions you'll hear me ask, um, and do you all like bread? Right, uh, do you like bread? you're like, what's gonna come out of his mouth? And it is kind of controversial controversial with all the gluten stuff and everything, but this is, today's about bread. It's about bread. Um, I was reading, uh, I was on Twitter this past week and I came across a story that was just mind-boggling for me and so I actually copy and pasted it. This is by a guy named Seamus Blackley. Interesting fact, Seamus means James. I didn't know that. So Seamus Blackley, who is the creator of the Xbox, Um, So he's also an an Egyptologist, okay? Um, Yeah, super interesting. So I'm going to just read it for those of you that that may not be able to see it. Two weeks ago, with the help of an Egyptologist and microbiologist, I went to Boston's MFA and Harvard's Peabody Museum to attempt to collect 4,500-year-old yeast from ancient Egyptian pottery. Today, I baked with some of it. Go ahead and keep on clicking, Tom. Using a non-destructive process and careful, sterile technique, we believe we can actually capture dormant yeasts and bacteria from inside the ceramic pores of ancient pots. We sampled beer and bread-making objects, which have actually been used in regular use in the Old Kingdom. We took many samples and will continue to build our sample library over the next year or so. This is important as we need to learn what microorganisms are old and which are modern contaminants. Samples go, and this is the doctor, for rigorous analysis, except I was naughty and kept one. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, using careful technique, UV sterilizers, autoclave tools and containers and sterilized freshly milled barley and einkorn flour, I awoke and fed the sample organisms. Although the sample surely contains contaminants, and what he means by contaminants is modern, Yeast, right? Um, it also likely contains actual ancient yeast strains. And keep on going. Today, after a week of feeding and carefully culling, the sample was bubbly and ready to try baking with. All the grains used here are ancient, organic, and milled fresh barley, einkorn, and kamut. Modern wheat was invented long after these organisms went to sleep. Here is a large batch of starter carefully made from the Old Kingdom sample added to water and some unfiltered olive oil. The idea is to make a dough with identical ingredients to what the yeast ate 4,500 years ago. The aroma of this yeast is unlike anything I've ever experienced. I've experienced. The crazy ancient dough fermented and rose beautifully. Here it is in the basket just before being turned out to bake. The ancient Egyptians didn't bake like this, you'll see but I need to get a feel for all this, so I'm going conventional for now. And here is the result. The scoring is a hieroglyph representing the T sound, which is a loaf of bread. The aroma is amazing and new. It's much sweeter and more rich than the sourdough we are used to. It's a big difference. After this cools, we will taste, and this is the last one. The crumb is light and airy, especially for a hundred percent ancient grain loaf. The aroma and flavor are incredible. I'm emotional. It's really different, and you can easily tell even if you're not a bread nerd. This is incredibly exciting and I'm so amazed that it worked. Isn't that cool? Forty five hundred year old yeast that he baked bread with. There was you can put it back to the, the first Um, slide, Tom, with the question. Um, As I was reading that, I was thinking about this question here. Um, And then immediately my mind jumped to the parable of the yeast. Uh, And the reason why it jumped to the parable of the yeast is because what was speaking to me is here is this ancient thing. I mean, literally ancient. 4,500-year-old yeast. Yet he was feasting on the product of that. Like this ancient thing was, I mean, and I didn't do his probably his reaction justice. Can you imagine him pulling out that bread and then eating it for the first time? The emotion that's wrought out of that. And here we hold these ancient records of life-giving, life-sustaining things. And I can honestly confess to you, oftentimes I'm not nearly as excited about this as I am about a piece of bread. <laughs> um, and so I thought, well, what, would, what ancient things are we meant to, to consume, maybe better yet, consume us? What ancient things uh, are supposed to redirect who we are? And I feel like it falls right in line with this question of what does it mean to have this ongoing, life-giving, life-altering relational journey with God? And so I had uh, last week read Colossians. I'll just read it again, although Marlene did a perfect job with it, just to kind of set our minds on this and to set the scene, I think, for the simile that Jesus uses uh, in his parable of the East. Uh, so I'll read it again. This is chapter Colossians chapter 3, verses one through. Three, so if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It says, so you have been raised with Christ, which means that you have entered in, when Jesus dies on the cross, you have entered into his death and then raised to life by his work. We see that in the resurrection. That's why the resurrection story is so powerful. And as we sit in our liturgical cal- uh, calendar of ordinary time, I think I need constant reminders of this raising to life. What, is, what, is, what have I died to and what has been raised to life in my life? What ancient things should I be holding on to? How, that, how should that transform me? So I, I, I loved, now I'm not, an. Uh, uh, while well, I may be a, kind of a bread nerder, I love Egypt too, so I'm a nerd in that way. Um, I'm not an English nerd, so I had to look this up. You know the difference between a metaphor and a simile? For the longest time, I thought a parable was a metaphor. It's a simile because it uses like or as. So, you know, these are similes that Jesus is using to describe what the kingdom is like. So he tells them another parable. And I will say this the beauty of a parable is it's not meant in a literal sense. Like it's meant, I think, to activate things in us. So I'm gonna point out some stuff, but just like Jesus, my hope is that maybe the pictures of the bread will speak something to you, but maybe there's something that, that he's gonna, he's said in this text, that I'm just gonna point out a few things, may unlock a little bit of this ancient way of life, okay? So he says, he tells them in another parable, The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed it with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. So first I'm going to talk about the kingdom of heaven. Um, Many of you have heard this throughout scripture, right? The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. What is that? What is that really? I mean, When Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like, what is he actually saying? So let's take it back through history. Um, There's a lot of great resources on YouTube that you could watch. Uh, I would recommend anything by N.T. Wright that talks about the kingdom of heaven because he does it, I mean, he'll, he does in four minute videos what takes me 30 minutes to do, right? That, he's that good. But one of the things that I gleaned from him, um, and I wanna give him credit for this because this is, I mean, he does a phenomenal job, is he points out throughout the Old Testament, so like in Isaiah, for example, these prophetic books, Daniel, he ties it all together. He ties together the way that the kingdom of God, what would Israel expect from the kingdom of God? So when it says the kingdom of heaven, what, what is being anticipated? And realistically, um, when, when we hear about Jesus, so we talk about the gospel, right? I've heard that expression before, the gospel, which is the good news. But what news is good news? I mean, the, the, the Greek word literally means news, and it means good. And so it's... For Israel, the Israelites, these Jewish people, they're waiting for good news, and this good news is something that was prophesied about. So ancient things, in Isaiah, and Daniel, and all these prophetic books, that there is a Messiah, there's a Savior, there's this King that's going to reign, and he's going to reorient power. So their modern experience at that time, which is ancient for us, but their modern experience of power was subjugation. Like, you are under my foot. Rome is saying, I own you, you're mine. And so this good news that Jesus is supposed to be preaching is is that this power orientation is going to flip. No longer is Rome going to be king. No longer are are the powers and principalities at work in our midst, are they going to reign? This coming Messiah, the Savior, is going to change it all. That's what they're expecting. And it's understandable because in Isaiah, again, Daniel, that's what's—it's to, easy to interpret it. Why I find this parable super interesting is any time for the most part in the Old Testament that yeast is used, it's a negative thing, not a positive thing. And I think there's something that Jesus is pointing out because imagine like last week or I think it was last week, two weeks ago last week when we were talking about the word conspire. Right, immediately our minds go to a negative thing, and so for somebody that's hearing about leaven and yeast, they're entire. I mean, they're very familiar with this text. They're very familiar with the ancient thing. So when they're hearing yeast and leaven, immediately, what does their mind go to? Something positive or something negative? Negative, because it's always related to the sin of Israel. Almost, I say always. Almost always. Yeast was almost always related to the sin of Israel. Like this little thing multiplies and it becomes negative. So here's Jesus, and he's like, but the kingdom of heaven is like this yeast. <laughs> so what is this good news that he's trying to point out? What? Because he's immediately setting them like in an uncomfortable situation. He's immediately putting them at odds with what they they know, which is very typical of the way of Jesus. You're going about your life in one way, and then all of a sudden he's like, "Uh, let me tell you a parable that's going to completely change your mind. (laughs) Let me me show you something that's going to completely mess with you. And so it's disorienting and it's disrupting. And Jesus is doing that. So immediately, when you feel disoriented, What do you do? That's a question for you. When you feel disoriented, what is your natural reaction? Stop. 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 Okay. Sit up. Stabilize. Stabilize. Has anybody ever had vertigo before? The worst feeling ever. No matter what you can do, you're like... You just want to be reoriented back to the way it was. The interesting thing about Jesus is he never seems to reorient people back to the way it was. He always reorients them forward into newness of life. So you have these people that would have been disoriented because this is just one of the many parables that he's telling. Imagine his disciples, people that have been walking with him, living life alongside of him. He's disorienting them at every step, and they're basically in a constant spiritual sense of vertigo. I mean, can you imagine everything that you thought to be true? I mean, when I, when I read uh, this Twitter feed from Seamus Blackley, I was like, that can't be true. But he's eating it, so certainly it's true. So he's reorienting them. And, and, and so the other thing is, uh, I wrote down here, when I'm disoriented, I have a lot of questions. When the kingdom of God is like, well, what does that mean, Jesus? What, what does it mean? What is this like? What is, what is this? What does that look like in my life? How does it orient me? This? This? We say the, uh, the Lord's Prayer, right? And we'll say it today. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Where? On earth, On earth as it is where? Colossians. That's Colossians. <laughs> <laughs> That's Colossians. On earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus is saying let me show you what this kingdom of heaven looks like here on earth. And it's something really, really tiny, it's like yeast. Now, something interesting, again, about yeast, and there's a lot of debate about this. You, can, uh, you don't even have to click through, Tom, but I had, you saw the picture up there. It's the sin in the kingdom, and there's a lot of discussion and debate um, amongst scholars Is Jesus talking about sin, or is he talking about the kingdom? Well, I don't know. Sometimes I I take things literally, and it says uh, the kingdom of heaven. So I think Jesus is talking about what he's he's saying. Yeast is like the kingdom. But I don't want to lose sight of that yeast historically in the Old Testament and then also in the New Testament is often referred to, leaven is often referred to as sin. So I don't want to say it's an either-or. I want to say it's probably... A little bit of both. A little bit of both. Now, what do I mean by that? I want you to be really honest with yourself and with God. I'm not going to make you talk to one another and have all this crazy confession. But I want you to be honest about your life right now. And we're using the simile of yeast. What kind of yeast has been folded into your life? And what do I mean by that? Well, is it kingdom yeast? that draws you into this ancient way of living in Christ? Or is it yeast? When I say with sin, everybody's like, ooh, sin, you know. Condemnation. I'm talking about that actually makes you run away from the kingdom of God. These things that distract you and disrupt you in a different way. Because both are disruptive. Be honest with yourself for a moment and say, has there ever been a moment where sin has not been disruptive in your life? where you running away from God has been a good thing, eventually it always catches up with us. That's a constant. Sin always will catch up with us. Why? Because Jesus is ever-present. He's right there saying, don't run from me because I love you. There is nothing better for you. So be honest with yourself for a second and say, what sort of yeast is folded up and folded in in your life? Now, so this is the cool thing about yeast. Are there any bread nerds in here that have ever made bread before? All right. You're not a nerd, okay? I remember growing up um, and making bread with my mom. And I needed to remind myself, what does yeast actually do? Because it's a single, single molecule, it's, that's... Huh? Yeah, thank you, organism. Thank you. Right, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a single thing. We'll go with that, organism. That's it. So if you aren't somebody that's made bread before, we can talk about this real quick. What does yeast do? Makes it rise, absolutely, but what? Creates alcohol, so it creates? Huh? It eats, it consumes. And then it produces. So this little single organism. Now, interestingly, uh, in this three measures of flour, um, some of the commentaries that I read, it's a, it's, it's a buttload of flour. Okay, (laughs) It's just like a crazy amount of flour with this tiny little yeast in it. And it's being folded in. And you have this this tiny little organism, and it's consuming sugars. And then it's being kneaded in, worked in. So it's consuming more, and as it consumes, and then it sits, and then it creates this alcohol. and, And it creates another thing that you didn't say, Brett, which was it strengthens the gluten. So as you knead it in and as it consumes the sugars and as it releases things, it starts to strengthen it. And the more that you pull it, the more it strengthens. And then you let it rest. So just as a survey for a moment, as we consider sin and as we consider the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying this is like the kingdom. And here's this, this woman who puts in a little bit of yeast and a crazy amount of flour and folds it in, kneads it. And as a result of that, the sugars are being consumed, it's being strengthened and transformed, and it permeates the flour. Now, I put in your uh, bulletins, may I? Yes. I put in, just as a reminder for definition, this is just a generic dictionary.com quick look of what permeate is. It's to pass into or through every part of, to penetrate through the pores, to saturate. Pass into or through every part of, to penetrate through the pores and saturate. Huh? To consume, permeate, saturate. So you have this picture. Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. This little thing is going to consume and saturate. And it will give, what is what is bread for? Bread. To eat, to nourish, to be consumed. So not only does it consume, it is to be consumed. It's pretty cool, huh? So he says that's what it's like. Now, sin, if it's folded in, can be, I don't know, it, it can consume you, can't it? And it can consume others. The kingdom of God, I I just really loved that the kingdom of God is like, so I I take these sugars, and especially if you're on a diet, sugars are like the sin, right? I don't want to be too literal with this. But there's something about yeast that destroys. It takes away. It eats away. And Have you ever had something in your life that was taken away from you? Good or bad? How does that feel? Back to that disorienting. Back to that disruptive. But Jesus doesn't leave it there. He takes away what breaks us down. And then he replaces it. He transforms. Strengthens makes a new thing. Brett and I have talked a lot about Revelation 21, 22. God takes old things, ancient things, and he makes new things from them. That's the story from Genesis to Revelation. Old things being made new. Ancient things being permeated in new ways in our lives through Jesus Christ. Uh, Some of the commentaries that I read, um, they pointed out this process of of yeast requires waiting and patience. How many of you like to wait and be patient? I mean, I can't imagine for him, you know, he gets these samples. He's got to wait for there to even be a starter. And then he's got to wait for it to rise. And then he's got to wait for it to bake. But that first piece, I love how he said it's something new and unexpected. Like you would think, or at least I would, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I would think that an ancient thing would kind of be old and frivolous and kind of like musty and gross, but it was actually the opposite of that. It was a new experience. It was a new smell. It was just unlocking his senses in ways that hadn't been unlocked before. You can see the parallels, hopefully. I read later, I didn't put it up here, but his wife uh, just ate the heck out of this. She just slathered it with jam. She was just, she was just in love with it, right? Just, that's what I want the kingdom of God to be like for us. So um, there's something about bread, it needs to be baked, right? It needs to go in an oven. And sometimes, although there's a waiting process and that we have to be patient for it to even rise for this process to go through, there's also this refining process Scripture talks about. Like for, in order for it to become that, there needs to be heat. That's when the yeast, all that work, all that transformation that went on, that you could only see with the rise suddenly comes to life in the baking. And it's consumed and shared. So yes, things get taken away from us, things that are unhealthy for us, some things that we think are good for us. But then they strengthen us. They transform us. They cause us to rise. And you're like, okay, well, that's good enough. And then you go through the refining process, the heat. And that's where I think the yeast actually really comes alive. Because now it's something. It's really something. What sort of things are going on in your life that are refining you? What sort of things in your life are helping it actually take shape beyond just the rise? I had um, three different... uh, sort of parts that I was thinking about, which is personal, relational, and missional. I think that the kingdom of God, so this work of Christ in your life should be very personal. This kneading process, that was one of the, the commentaries that I read. He pointed out the kneading process that it had to be worked in. Have you ever had like a massage where you got a knot? Is that ever fun when they work that knot out? I haven't, right? Yeah. It's painful. It's painful. But it's working out some stuff in our life. In a very personal way. Just the sense of touch. And so there's yeast, this kingdom of God, this little thing is being worked in and needed. Now let's be clear about this. When you come into a relationship with Christ, the promise is that you have the very spirit of God in you. So you're already saturated with the presence of God. But there's something about this letting it really, like living into the saturation, really living in to this process. That's why I like the refining, because the refining process shows you who you are. The refining process shows you the transformation. So in a personal way, the yeast needs to be folded in in our lives to show us that we're saturated. Um, In relational ways, in relationships, what are the relationships that need this sort of kingdom to come alive? And then in a missional way, we said, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. How many people in our lives need this sort of saturated, permeated love, this transformation, this strengthening, this refining? Um, The thing that I keep on coming back to is that it requires patience. Um, there's very few times in my life when I think something's supposed to happen that's actually supposed to happen then. So it requires patience. It requires waiting. But there's something about the kingdom of heaven that requires faith. I mean, baking bread is an act of faith, isn't it? So this idea of, I mean, this is a story of faith. I would I would love for us to consider what does it look like? Like you know that the kingdom of, of heaven is like, but maybe you don't quite know. Maybe just like the disciples that were listening and the people that were listening, like they have this idea of what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like, and he's like, well, let me show you. Maybe it's not like that. But it will be good, and it will be new, and it will be refreshing. So consider um, this morning. Maybe... Uh, through this parable, maybe God is inviting you into this idea that his very presence permeates your life. It already does. Maybe it's, there are some other things in your life that are, have permeated your life that need to be consumed. Peace. See you later. <laughs> maybe there is some patience and waiting that's required you just gotta like put it to the back and let it grow. And maybe some of you are in this refining process where you're in like, I don't know, what's the best temperature for bread? 350, 400? And you're just sitting there. That's it. And maybe some of you, your bread is out, like the, the work of the kingdom has been kneaded in, and it's grown, and it's been baked, but maybe it's time to share that with other people. This is why I love parables, because there's so much to draw from this. I hope there's something that God uh, spoke to you about this morning. Um, we will share in bread and wine, remembering how the very broken body and shed blood of Christ permeates our life saturates us. We are alive because he died and rose again. And so if you're struggling with this this morning, I just, I love the fact that he gives us a landmark. Do these things in remembrance of me. So maybe today you need to hit the reset button. We're allowed to do that. (laughs) Allowed to hit the reset button. I started exploring again. Uh, I didn't really think about this until today, but you know, I always write in my journal. Um, this is a new journal for me. This is a reset, a new beginning. We all get that every single day. Every single day. And the ancient things that we can carry into this new day. Don't have to be the sin that destroyed us before. They don't have to be the brokenness. They can be old things made new. That's the gospel. That's the good news that Jesus gives us. And how do we know that it's good news? Because he died and he rose again. So let me pray for us this morning, and then we will share in communion together. Gracious God, we thank you that you take ancient things And you permeate our lives with it. Things that we read about in Genesis. Your promises, your goodness, your faithfulness, your presence. We read about this good news about you dying on a cross for us. Knowing exactly who we were. All the the sin that would be in our life. All the ways that we would run from you. And you say that we are so completely and utterly worth it. And that that love, God, would permeate us. And I guess what I mean by permeated is that it's already worked its way through us. It's been needed and it's transformed us. But God, I pray that we could see how much it really transforms us, how new we actually are because of you, Jesus. That this process of sanctification, where we're coming into a clearer vision of who we are in you, Jesus, um, will come alive for us, would be activated. That that would be the constant in our life, not the ways that we fail or make mistakes or missteps, but that we would have life. I love that this picture uh, of this woman working in the yeast is with a lot of flour. I mean, just a crazy amount of flour. Sometimes your kingdom can feel so small and the world around us can feel so big. Uh, But this big world around us that's broken doesn't have the last word and that you're constantly restoring and reconciling. So I pray that for us personally. I pray that for us relationally. And I pray that as we go and scatter that we too would be like yeast as we join with you in the renewal of all things. God, I recognize that part of this new beginning that we get each day in you, Jesus, um, is that there is a beauty in confession. There is, Confession is just recognition in, in how we run. So God, as we go before your table and we remember your broken body and your shed blood through the bread and the wine, I pray that if there's things in our heart that have consumed us for too long, I pray that we could confess those to you now. So just leave some space uh, for all of us. If there are some things that you need to just spend some time in recognition, go ahead and do that now. God, our list may be long or it may be short, but we confess that we need you, that we can't live this life apart from you. Thank you that you restore and renew, that your forgiveness is so beyond accessible and that you welcome us with open arms. We praise you for that. Thank you for preparing our hearts for this feast that you offer us. We pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.